0: Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here is the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton.
1: Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, we're going to discuss the rise and legacy of American progressivism with the author of America Transformed, Dr. Ronald J. Pastrito. This is his seventh book, and he's also written for the Claremont Review of Books and the Wall Street Journal, among other publications. Dr. Pastrito is a senior fellow of the Claremont Institute for the study of statesmanship and political philosophy. And he is the graduate dean and professor of politics at Hillsdale College. Welcome to Core Principles, RJ. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, thank you for being on. And because you hold the Shipley chair in the American Constitution at Hillsdale College, I want to take a moment to put in a plug for that great institution of higher learning. I'm a big fan of Hillsdale College. I'm also a fan of your president there, Dr. Larry Arnn, who's been a guest on this program. Listeners, if you want to restore your hope that not all colleges and universities have become corrupt Marxist indoctrination centers. Check out Hillsdale college. You'll be inspired. So RJ, the first question I wanted to ask you is just if you would give us a little background about your path to becoming graduate Dean at Hillsdale.
0: Sure. And, and by the way, thank you for mentioning the college. I feel very you know blessed to, to be teaching here and it's, you're right. It's one of the, one of the very few uh, places uh, that that's uh that's sort of a, a gem, a place to go in higher education and in a, a very deteriorating environment in higher education, unfortunately. And, uh, I, uh, I've been blessed to be here for, about, I think about 16 years now, uh, and was attracted to the, you know, the core liberal arts mission of the college and, and its independence, uh, had taught at a couple of other places and and had been established, but got invited by Larry Arn. uh, When uh, Shortly after he became president, uh, whom I've known for a long time, uh, going back to his days at the Claremont Institute, uh, to uh, come into an already very good uh, politics program uh, here and with the idea of uh, adding on to it, of kind of doubling down on our mission uh, and uh, turning out some good masters and PhD students who are actually educated in the principles of American constitutionalism, which is a very rare thing. Uh, so I've been doing that now for about uh, 10 years and uh, uh, hope to keep on doing it for a long time yet.
1: By the way, happy Constitution Day a few days late.
0: But, and to uh, you as well. We just had a big, uh, big event celebrating Constitution Day, as we always do.
1: Yes. Well, I like your book, America Transformed. I'm really thankful that Ryan Williams, uh, who is the president of Claremont Institute, sent it to me. Uh, So to begin our discussion of this great book that you've written, uh, I want to set the stage as you did by acknowledging that the founders of America did recognize that things change over time. Progressives, and I put that in quotes, emphasize that obvious fact as sort of an excuse or a justification for what I think are their attempts to do what Barack Obama said was his goal to fundamentally transform this nation. But I want to quote from your book regarding change, quote, certain core principles, and of course, I appreciate that you said that, were understood by the founders to be permanent, meant to endure through the unforeseeable exigencies of historical events. This is because they believed in keeping with much of the tradition of thought, I'm sorry, the Western tradition of thought, that core political ideas we're grounded in the very nature of man, unquote. So the question I want to ask you is straight out of left field, meaning I don't necessarily believe this, but what if the very nature of man is itself malleable and impermanent?
0: Well, that's the progressive, that's the core progressive assumption. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I really like the approach of starting from, you know, let's talk about the basic principles of human nature, because if the, you have to get that right. Uh, and if you don't, the politics kind of falls apart from from there. And so uh, that, that that's the basic difference, uh, the basic starting difference between a progressive worldview and the founder's worldview is, you know, is the human being sort of created by God with a certain, you know, core nature uh, or is uh, the human being a, as you put it, a kind of malleable, ever evolving, one thing in one age, another in another, and we can never assume or point to certain permanent characteristics of human nature? And and you know, as you see today in our political environment with uh, the you know, the various trans and other kinds of of uh, uh, agendas, th- this is the heart. This is the heart of the matter. You know, can can we? Can we speak with any confidence any longer about what a human being is so just to to uh, uh put put a quick addition to that um you're quite correct the founders were not they, they didn't argue uh, this is the, uh, often a straw man they didn't argue that nothing ever changes that government doesn't need to change uh they knew that that things would happen of course over in history in the future that, that they could not foresee. And so there's all kinds of flexibility built into government. They themselves talk about their own form of government as reflecting all of the progress in the arts of politics, you know, that they had learned over the centuries from reading history. Other things don't change. Uh, Human beings don't change. And therefore, what government must do fundamentally, basically, is always the same. It must uh, secure the rights that we have by our God-given nature, life, liberty, uh, property. Uh, and uh, it, it must understand that human beings are equal in their rights. They're not equal in lots of other ways. We're all different from one another, but they're equal in their rights. Uh, no man may govern another without the other's consent. You can't treat another human being like he's a beast. Uh, you have to you have to treat him as an equal. So that that was non-negotiable, non-changing. Nothing's going nothing's to move them off of that. Otherwise, yeah, government has to adapt. And they understood that and, and wrote the constitution accordingly.
1: And they gave us a process, the amendment process, to update it as needed.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And by the way, you know, I, sometimes it's amazing you have to remind people of that. Uh, who say, well, they never want a government to change it. That's what the amendment process is there for. It's, we, we've amended uh, 27 times in our history, uh, including you know such important amendments as dealing with uh, the slavery a problem. And and uh, that's, that's what it's there for when progressives complain about uh, uh, not being able to change the constitution what they mean is there's not enough uh, uh, political support there's not enough support from the people and from the states to change government by legitimate means by lawful means and so they want to do it in other ways they want to do it through administrative decree they want to do it through judicial decree uh, because they can't get get the actual popular support to do it in the way that the constitution requires
1: Yes. And listeners, if you want an example of exactly what he just said, look at the abortion debate. Since the Dobbs decision, the Democrats, the progressives in Washington are saying we got to codify this nationwide, but they won't do the one thing they could do if they wish Roe were actually legit. They could make a constitutional amendment that puts that right in there. They won't do it because they can't.
0: Yeah. For, for years, Clay, the um you know, the, the preferred path of the left has been to achieve its its social aims through the unelected branches of government. And there are, there are basically two of them, the courts and the administrative agencies. Uh, and now we're told that is it is a so-called threat to our democracy, that, w- w- that some of us are insisting that major policy changes actually be made by the democratic, uh, small d, democratic branches of government. So you do see in the uh, abortion issue, and, and by the way, in some states, the left is making uh, considerable uh, headway on that, and and it's you know not what I would prefer personally, but that's that's actually what democracy is uh, not not taking something off the table.
1: Yes, well, that question I asked about how even basic truths don't typically gain acknowledgement by the left reflected my long held belief that leftists and progressives don't really have strong principles, but perhaps I've been unfair to them. The first third of your book is about progressive first principles, and this will lead us into the parts of the book where you explore how progressives have encroached on our administrative state. So would you first tell us about the basics of what you call these progressive first principles?
0: Sure. They um, they do have 1st principles. Uh, they're just not the, the principles that, uh, that our country was founded on. Uh, our country was founded on a core view of human nature that defines and limits the scope of government. Uh, the, the progressives believed that man instead is subject to continual historical progress, that as history moves forward, the human being changes, uh, and therefore government has to uh, uh, Be be different things in different ages, Uh, and their view ultimately. uh, And they got this. uh, There's a lot of uh, uh, some political theory behind this, but basically, they got this from uh, uh, the German political philosophers uh, who dominated Europe in the 19th century. Uh, It was a very different political philosophy than the one that that founded uh, that influenced the founders of our country. But it came in through the universities uh, who were. Many of the universities were taken over toward the end of the uh, 19th century uh, by German educated uh, uh, PhDs. That was the sort of the thing you wanted to do to be prestigious uh, at, at that time. And so by the time you get into the 20th century, you have a whole, a whole new worldview about the human person and about human government. And uh, they wanted government without limits. Uh, they thought that uh, science, remember, the 19th century is the, the century of, of the advent of science, the Darwinian revolution and all of that. And so they wanted science to be the driving force and, and deference to science. This is a phrase we've heard a lot over the last two years, uh, as, as you and your listeners can can probably uh, uh, recall with regret. Um but the, the science overtakes consent as the fundamental ground for government, right? That uh, uh, you defer to the experts. You, as, as science improves, as we get more knowledge about how we can manage all facets of society, uh, the idea that people need to consent, that has to take a back seat. And you, you've seen that develop throughout the course of the uh, 20th, uh, 20th, now 21st century. And I say, if, if nobody really recognized that. I don't think there's anyone who who lived through the last two and a half years now that doesn't understand how that argument works and why, and therefore why, you know, clinging on to COVID and some of the craziness that went on there was so important to the left because this, this was you know, their best opportunity to put into place a, a governing philosophy that has motivated them for a hundred years.
1: Yes. And, uh, even though I missed it on television, I heard that Joe Biden declared the pandemic is over and his leftist buddies freaked out. So I guess I guess don't that means that I could be.
0: finally leave my house, Clay. I don't I mean, <laughs> I'm so relieved to have his permission to do that.
1: Well, we better ask Dr. Tony. I am science Fauci. But mm-hmm. uh, I believe, of course, that the Constitution explicitly limits the involvement of the central government in our lives and puts a full stop, a period on that with the 10th Amendment. And so I'm also someone who appreciates our first Republican president, Abraham Lincoln. I was really fascinated, uh, RJ, by your part of your book, where you talk about how progressives use Lincoln to try to justify their opposition to limited government. Would you summarize that for us and explain why progressives are wrong about that?
0: Sure. And and it's a it's it's progressive liberals all the way, you know, from the original to the to the contemporary ones. Everyone wants to, to claim Lincoln's legacy because, you know, who doesn't like Abraham Lincoln? And and so in one sense it's it's perfectly understandable in a narrow political way. But their argument was that Lincoln transformed the country. He was the first big progressive. Uh and uh and this is why, by the way, there there is a contingent of some uh conservatives who mistakenly you know blame Lincoln for for big government, you know, that we have today. And it's a topic for another day. But, you know, the, the progressives argued Lincoln transformed the country. The old constitutional view was very decentralized states' rights. Lincoln comes in, uses the occasion of the war, turns us into a nation where everything is sort of focused at, at the center. And that is sort of laying the ground and that he wasn't afraid to turn aside from the constitution and create a newer, different kind of big government. That That's, that's their core argument. Um, when they The reason that's a mistake, of course, is that uh, if you actually read anything that Lincoln wrote or said, uh, you can see that his entire uh, argument, uh, all of his you know, famous speeches from the 1850s, for instance, uh, are predicated on dedicating the country to a return to the natural rights, thinking of the Declaration of Independence, uh, and uh, that, that he understood his statesmanship. Uh, It it is entirely defined by government's purpose in securing an equality of rights. Uh, And so it wasn't about equality of condition. Uh, It was about making our government square up to those to those original first principles. Uh, And and uh, quite honestly, uh, the the progressive argument, uh, anything you read from the progressives, any sort of progressive scholar uh, will start with a critique of the very things that that Lincoln most uh, loved and and promoted.
1: Well, we're talking with Dr. Ronald J. Prostrito about his new book, America Transformed. RJ, in the second part of your book, you provide detail about this concept called the Social Gospel, and you quote a man named Richard Eli, who wrote, "quote." salvation means righteousness in all the earth and its establishment means hard warfare until the earth becomes a new earth unquote now that sounds to me like striving towards utopia and it sounds dangerous what should we understand about the social gospel and how it ties to what we know as progressivism
0: it's a fascinating part of the story because the common assumption today, not without justification is that progressives must be, you know, sort of secular, godless atheist. Uh, but in fact, most of the original progressives, not all, but most were, were very, uh, devout can know, had a very serious form of, of what they understood as Christianity. Um, the, they, they took, um, they took a Darwinian revolution in the 19th century uh and used it as an opportunity to to move Christian doctrine as they understood it away from the old fundamentals and the main contention for them uh the main target for them was the the idea of original sin uh and that's the idea and it's obviously it's a theological concept but it's important in politics too uh the idea that we are fallen uh and that that our, our nature we, we we're never going to get heaven here on earth Uh, uh, only in the next life. And so our nature is is limited and what we can do here is limited. Uh, And the progressives took the Darwinian revolution and used it to make the case against the idea of original sin. Uh, And they, they said, no, we're not, we're not so limited. Human nature is improving. It's not, if it was fallen, it's not permanently fallen. And so we can now do here on earth with human hands and through the science of the state, Uh, you know, we can create a kind of kingdom on earth here. Uh, Richard Ely, whom you mentioned, said that. Walter Rauschenbusch, who was a theologian of social gospel, wrote extensively about this. The science now is there. We know how to manage things. We know we've learned a lot about administrative science that we didn't know. And so the state can now kind of partner with uh, our sort of divine understanding and, and create this sort of paradise or utopia here. And so they turned, they turned the state into a kind of a god. Uh, and, and so the progressive movement and the social gospel movement were very much kind of overlapped there uh, around the turn of the 20th century.
1: What I'm going to say is going to be misunderstood by some listeners, but the argument that you just described that they are making, that the progressives have made, is one in line with arguments that Satan tries to make. Well, you begin the third and the final part of your book, America Transformed, talking about the progressive origins of the administrative state. And my sometimes simplistic way of thinking causes me to hear swamp when I hear administrative state. Would you give us a brief explanation of how the rise of the administrative state encroached on our individual liberties and our constitution's strictly limited central government?
0: Sure. I mean, the, the fundamental limitation on the the power of the national government or one of them was the fact that uh, that it simply was thought to be beyond human capacity to regulate, you know, most of the details of our economy and our, and our society. Uh, And so when progressives and new dealers got this vision for massively expanding the, the place of, of government in our, in our lives, uh, they knew they needed to build out an, an administrative apparatus. Uh, that was a task of you know, Congress. You know, it's it's a it's a le- legislature. Uh, it certainly is not up to the task of of coming up with every minute regulation in the, in the way that the progressives envisioned, New Dealers envisioned, uh, and so they had to turn to a, a different structure of government. They administration, as the framers envisioned it. Of course, every government has administration, but it was subject to an elected executive and, and therefore kind of limited what the progressives thought was we need to take administration and remove it from the control of politics, which is to say, remove it from the control of the people's consent. Uh, the pro- science should rule expertise should rule not consent. And so you see this uh, today, for example, in the arguments of the pandemic, uh, how many rules that we had, uh, that were so intrusive, People didn't have any say. Even legislatures, federal, state didn't have any say because the idea was, well, these things shouldn't be subject to politics. It's all about expertise. Only those with knowledge should govern. Well, progressives have been making this argument for 100 hundred years, uh, most obviously on public health, but on all kinds of issues. And so uh, it's why today we're, we're told sort of somewhat uh, counterintuitively that when uh, Congress or the voters try to take back control, let's say, over things like whether it's immigration policy, environmental policy, uh, health care policy, uh, that that's somehow anti-democratic, uh, that pulling power back from unelected uh, alleged experts, whom we discover for the most part are not very expert in things, uh, uh, that this is somehow anti- anti-democratic. Uh, but it really is the progressive vision, right, that most, most governing day-to-day should be done by people who are not accountable to, to voters. Uh, politics just simply gets in the way. Consent simply gets in the way.
1: That's obviously dangerous, and we see the bad outcomes from it. I wonder, uh, Dr. Pastrito, if the progressives who you know, advocate for that approach ever reflect and observe that their experts in D.C. are so often wrong,
0: well, if the last two and a half years is not going to demonstrate that to somebody, I have to throw up my hands and say, I don't know. I don't know what will. Amen. Uh, and I mean, honestly, uh, you know, the, the maybe one silver lining to come out of uh, what what we've been put through uh, over the last couple of years is, you know, that, that there was overreach uh by our progressive opponents uh and that they had to make fairly obvious uh to people that they're not they're not so expert uh you know i hope people are watching i know uh, a disturbing portion of them have obviously not been but but maybe enough of them have been uh and that's that's i think one thing we can we can hope for
1: well i like to be optimistic and i value
0: hard these days.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. But uh, that's the challenge. Uh, I made a really decisive choice uh, at a specific time in my life to be rather naive instead of cynical and optimistic, uh, even though I live in the real world and I do understand the dangers that we face. I, of course, value this experiment in self-governance that the founders gave us. And so I want to have hope that we can restore some of the core principles that give liberty a chance. But I'm quoting from your book Near the Conclusion. You wrote this, quote, Courts' continued reliance on arbitrary and capricious review combined with recent trends portending a reconsideration of the constitutional and administrative law pillars of the administrative state suggest that agencies may be entering an error where they will have less discretion to make policy, but considered more fundamentally, this development does not in itself suggest a turn away from progressive ideas or a return to more Republican principles. So my two-part question, Dr. Pastrito, is this, what will help turn away from destructive progressivism and back towards liberty, and secondly, Do you think we should have hope that we'll actually do that?
0: So uh, I I think what I I was saying there is what's going on right now is most policy battles are played out between administrative agencies and courts. So any you know think of any of the stuff from the pandemic, the vaccine mandate, the the. uh, you know, all of these policies, they've all wound up in federal court. They're made by an agency, the CDC, OSHA, whatever it may be. And then they get into federal court somewhere and they, it navigates its way up the chain. That, that's how we make policy in this country. And so what I was referring to there is the, the administrative agencies are the left's favorite organs of, of policymaking. Um, we conservatives tend to, uh, tend to favor the courts. Uh, we want to see the courts come in and, and change that. And we've seen a little bit of that, mostly as a result of President Trump's appointments to the Supreme Court and to many of the lower federal courts. So um, we, 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 each of us right and left have our favorite unelected branch of government uh, that that we, uh, you know, that we want. And and I'm all, I'm, I'll take any court victory that comes, you know, any, any port in the storm is my philosophy that having been said, it's not Republican and by Republican I'm small small uh, Republican, not Republican Party. It's not that's this is not how a free people governs itself, uh, how it ought to govern itself is through its elected representatives. And so the way out uh, to long winded way of answering your question, the way out is for Congress to reassert itself, uh, that that's how we we make laws in this country or for uh, in, in your states, for your state legislators. Uh, to reassert themselves. So many, uh, state legislators just sat on their hands during the pandemic and let their governors and their health bureaucrats run their citizens' lives. So, uh, th- the good news in this, if you, if you want to call it that, is that Congress created this mess. Congress created the administrative state. It exists only because Congress passed laws, bring it into existence. It operates only because Congress appropriates money. Uh, and so Congress can fix it. If you have the right Congress, uh, they can reassert uh, control. There no constitutional uh, amendment is needed. The Constitution is on Congress's would be on Congress's side in that scenario. So this is fixable. Whether or not there's the political will to fix it uh, is a very different question. But it is fixable.
1: I'll take that as yes. We we can have hope. And as as we conclude, uh, I want to share with the listeners one final quote. From your book *America Transformed*, and I highly recommend listeners that you get a copy of this. Uh, You can get it from Encounter Books, uh, the publisher, or you can get it at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, and the typical booksellers. *America Transformed*. Uh, This last quote comes from the postscript. It's something that this very program is about. Uh, Quote: It is common to hear that the country is as divided today as it has been since the 1850s. And that connection seems apt because like the 1850s, today's debates are not only about policy, but about the regime's first principles, unquote. So my final question, Dr. Ronald J. Pastrido is this, what can we who love America do to help preserve those first principles?
0: Well, do in part what you're doing and what your listeners are doing right now, which is to, to get educated uh, and to talk to your fellow citizens about this. Uh, there is an incredibly intense campaign right now uh, through the organs of social media and the ordinary media to, to suppress uh, any of this kind of education. Uh, they don't want educated people. They don't want people asking questions. Uh, they want people just to kind of go along and, and sort of wallow in a sort of petty prosperity that we, we seem, you know, we seem to have, although it's increasingly bleeding out, uh, these days. Uh, and so don't, don't do it, uh, read, uh, you know, tune into programs like this. Uh, we offer a bunch of online free online, uh, first principles kind of education at the college. We're not the only ones to do it, but I mean, I, I recommend ours certainly, um, don't, don't let them, uh, dictate to you what you can read what you can learn Uh, and that's that's what we do here at the college that's why we are a a, you know stick in the eye of the establishment uh which we're very uh, proud of
1: yes amen to that so listeners do check out hillsdale college uh you can find them online at hillsdale.edu you can search for things like uh, constitutional courses. Uh, they have a lot of their offerings uh, available for free, uh, and it's an extraordinary resource. Uh, and if you places, have, go ahead.
0: I'm sorry to interrupt, but since you mentioned Ryan Williams recommended my book, I should also, you know, mention the Claremont Institute as another such source, which has been doing this stuff for a long time, especially on the principles of Lincoln and the founders, and and how uh, those principles apply to to these debates. That's another place for your listeners to check out as well.
1: Absolutely, and uh, we we do have allies throughout the country. Uh, there are other organizations, and there are even. Some people still doing actual journalism and investigative reporting. They seem to be fewer and far between, and they seem to all been expelled from the news organizations. I'm thinking of people like Cheryl Atkinson and Laura Logan, uh, but they're out there. And uh, Molly Hemingway, uh, she does great things at The Federalist, also a former guest on this program. Uh, So uh, there is hope. And thank you very much, Dr. Ronald J. Pastrito, for joining me on Core Principles. God bless you.
0: Thank you. Same to you. And and it was fun to do. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at LateJuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.